From KCRW, I'm Justin Simeon. And I'm Barry Jenkins. And you're listening to Don't, Don't At Me. me. <laughs> Podcast voice. <laughs> What's going on? Okay, so I'm really excited because today I'm talking to the man. Oh, God. Barry Jenkins, the black man who stole the Oscar from white America uh, for his amazing film. <laughs> That's I'm, a very I'm controversial I'm introduction. <laughs> I'm glad this is radio. I'm kidding. I'm but I mean, radio. okay, I'm just going to get into it. I'm not going to give a fancy introduction because I have to say, like, a lot of my stuff is your fault because I was so jealous of whoever this asshole who made Medicine for Melancholy was. Because I was like, how dare you be black and brilliant before I've had my chance? You know, I was still in that, like, you know, crabs in a barrel and I didn't know you. I kind of got pretty obsessed with you because uh, you were part of, like, the science fiction people. PBS thing. What was that called? Uh, Future States, yeah. Future States. And I thought your short there was amazing. Thank you, man. And I'd seen a few of your shorts and stuff. And I just like, I was just such a fan. I was such a fanboy. And then when we really got to know each other is um, you were inviting people to watch Moonlight. That's right. That's right. That's right. That's right. That's and how you, we... And you came to, like, I think well, our first feedback screening. Yeah, that's like how we, like, met, kind of. But, but, I mean, but we really met. met. We uh, met on, think, the, on the internet. Exactly. We met via, like, I think Twitter it was? Yeah, it was Twitter. Because I think I was, like, super broke. I just moved back to L.A. Yeah. when white people came out. Uh-huh. And I Same, took... by the way. I took... Ex- <laughs> well, yeah, but I took the bus to the mm-hmm. Arclight mm-hmm. to go and see Dear White People. Wow, man. And I remember tweeting at you leaving the movie, which I still do to this day, and you replied. And uh-huh. I was like, oh, shit, this dude replied to me. And then we kind of just started, like, fan This dude replied to each me. Other. Okay, whatever. Um, whatever, Barry. You know that you're the shit. It's fine. The thing about Moonlight that, honestly, 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 like, there was a little explosion in my brain. And it doesn't happen often in the movies, but it happened mm-hmm. in your film. Mm-hmm. It happened in Get Out. And I think, honestly, before that, it was, like, 2001. Like, it was, mm-hmm. like, mm-hmm. And, and and it was this feeling that I never thought I could have this experience from a movie. You know, it, and it wasn't, part of it is the subject matter, because there mm-hmm. are scenes in Moonlight that you just, like, captured, you captured aspects of my life, Barry, that, honestly, I had never before even attempted to articulate or think about. Um, And it was so powerful. I felt so seen watching that movie. You know, so first of all, really honestly, honestly, thank you for the film. Thank you. I, I, I can't, like, I'm so happy that it won because I thought it really was the best film that uh, anyone made that year. You've talked about Moonlight. You've talked about the origin story. But I'm curious, like, what do you, what does it feel like for you, of all people, to sort of be you know, this kind of like lighthouse, this beacon in the queer community, which I feel like you, I I guess, I don't even know if if I would consider you an outsider, but you are, you're an observer, I would say, in that space. Yeah, definitely an observer in that space. And it was something I didn't anticipate when we made the film. You know, it's interesting because there are certain scenes that originated in the play and then certain scenes that I had to add, you know, as we were building out the life of Chiron, building out the world of the film. And I'm kind of thankful now, looking back on it, that I never considered how unseen Mm. uh, this character was and how unseen certain moments in this boy's life were as far as arts and letters or mainstream cinema goes. Because had I known, I think I would have felt this weight, this burden, this Mm -hmm. pressure. And I think it's interesting you used the term outsider. I feel like there was just enough distance between myself and what we were doing 
but so much proximity for Terrell Mm -hmm. and the source material that it just kind of created this blend where I think the art could stand on its own outside the subject matter, but there's no denying the subject matter came from a very potent, personal place. I think it it doesn't ever feel like propaganda. It doesn't ever feel overtly political. Mm -hmm. But, I mean, it's profoundly political, of course, because these are stories that traditionally are not told in cinema, which, you know, is really kind of like, that's the tops. You know what I mean? In terms of uh, us as as humans right now, when Mm -hmm. when a kind of story makes it to the cinema mm-hmm. and wins an Oscar. I mean, that is like, that's kind of, that's that's, that's at the top of our culture. Yeah. Um, so I, it's actually, I can feel that in the movie because the movie is never trying to convince me of anything or mm-hmm. tell me anything other than, you know, what's going on with these particular characters. Yeah. And uh, I don't know. I just, I really, I really just so appreciate it. Yeah. And it, and it makes me, you, you know, you know it's, it's, it's one of those things where I moved to San Francisco in like 2005, 2006. Mm -hmm. And I had never spent, you know, any considerable amount of time, I would say, immersed in the LGBTQ community, Mm -hmm. or at least immersed in a city where one of the dominant cultures was a culture that was founded or rooted, you know, in LGBTQ themes. And it was uh, a growing process for Mm me. Mm -hmm. Um, I think, you know, I worked with people who very openly identified as LGBTQ. I'm going to pause you there. Yeah. How did you, how do you politely decline all of the wedding proposals that I'm sure you're getting (laughs) from men across the country? By the way, I get texted about this more than anything. Like, A, can you give me Barry? I was like, he's not interested, dude. Like, that's not, he's a filmmaker. He made this movie. My Instagram, (laughs) my Instagram, like, you know, the messages of people you don't follow Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. has consistently just been popping. Out of control. Ever since the first screening or the first review. would like... (laughs) Die to have your Instagram inbox. I, I, I literally but posted. But not you. <laughs> exactly. I literally posted a photo today because I'm watching the World Cup of me in a Peru soccer jersey, and some guy was like, "Barry Jenkins looking like a snack." Uh, uh, <laughs> wow. Well, you're oh, welcome. Man. We're but, disgusting. But, but then people. I've, Just I've, yeah, but I've also, I've also gotten you know some of the sweetest responses I think I will I will ever get. When I say sweet, I mean just more most heartfelt, viscerally human responses to a piece of work that I've ever gotten. You know, I have had men, you know, approach me and literally just fall into my arms. Wow. Just shaking, basically. Wow. Uh, for exactly the reasons you said at the top of the show, which is for the first time they feel like they've been seen. Mm-hmm. And it's one thing for other people to see them for the first time, but for, but for them to also see themselves. Yeah. And I think portrayed in what I so, think is a very humane and delicate way in the film which is interesting given how hard the world Sharon grows up in and how hard Travante Rhodes makes himself in the last chapter of the film. You know what I also got to give you is you never make a point to talk about how straight you are. Like huh. it's a thing, but you know what I mean? It's like a thing that I've all, I've, it's, it's all, it's ubiquitous. Like every straight actor that plays gay or like a straight person that sort of, you know, does something artistic in the gay space. There's always like it all, they always slip it in either at the top or in the middle or at the end. Like, you know, well, I'm not gay. I'm my fiance or they'll like, you know, they'll just make a point to bring it up. So yeah. just so people know, I, I, and you've I kinda, never done that. I kind of thought I've I, never heard you do that. I kind of thought I've had to say it as an apology because, yeah. <laughs> because it's almost like, I feel like there are people who, which is which is how it should be. You know, I think there are people who who engage the art in such mm-hmm. an aggressive aggressive way, who have engaged Moonlight in such an aggressive way, and then I come secondarily, mm-hmm. and I again I see it all the time on Twitter where somebody will say something, and, and then somebody in their mentions will be like, "Well, you know, 
he's actually not gay. Yeah. And that person would just be like, what? I, let me tell you, I have had tw- tw- text conversations with people I have not talked to in years. So, like, listen, it's not going to happen. I'm so sorry. Okay, so I want to talk about this really quickly. Uh, I want to talk about this really quickly, but mm-hmm. we will do that after the break. Yes. You're listening to Justin... Talking to Barry freaking Jenkins on Don Justin Simeon, Academy Award member. Talking hey, Academy to <laughs> Award winner. Hey, we just two black boys in the Academy. MFR? All right, all right, all right. We'll be right back. And we're back. Thank you for listening to this KCRW podcast. In case you don't know us, KCRW is public radio in Los Angeles, bringing the best of NPR to Southern California. We're also known for our own brand of bold and innovative programming, evocative storytelling, taste-making music, and audio documentaries that are little movies for your ears. You can join our community to support this show and others, or make a one-time donation just to say thank you. Find out more at kcrw.com join. <laughs> All right, so you've you've talked this to death, but I, I still I get a lot from it. I want to know about the in between times. You know, Iyanla uh, uh, Van Zant uh, mm-hmm. of Fix My Life fame has a book called In the Meantime that I have read cover to cover because uh, I have been in a meantime for most of my life, mm-hmm. and you were in a major meantime between um, medicine and Moonlight. And I want to know what that was like for you, because I was aware that you were a genius from the first time I saw your work. I I knew that you were a brilliant filmmaker. So I know you must have known it. Like, how annoying was that? I just just tell me the real real, like going through that period. Like, talk to me about it. You know, the real real is, you know, I don't I don't think very much of myself. I I never have. Mm -hmm. I think it has to do with the way I grew up. And hopefully I'll get better therapy and I can really unpack this mm-hmm. so I can stop saying this. But are we using are we using like what kind of therapy are we on right now? Better therapy. Well, it's interesting. I, I like don't like paying out of uh my, my, oh, my provider. Oh, so and so the- <laughs> and so now well no no no. I was out, but now I'm trying to come back in. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Uh, but I want to come back in and find somebody who's good. It's so, hard. So, it's so hard. My exactly. therapist is great. I might hit you up afterwards. Exactly. I'll let you know. <laughs> um but yeah, I I've never thought that I was very good uh, at anything or that the stuff I make can have uh, value to anyone else. It's why really? I'm, I'm just being honest, man. It's wow. why it's why everything that happened with Moonlight was so shocking to me. And it's why the last year and a half of my life has just been so just odd and strange. So to what me. did you think would happen, though, after Medicine came out? Like after Medicine came out and it went through the box office and it left the box office and it entered home? Like what was, what did you think the next few years were going to look like then? Uh, I mean, originally, initially, mm-hmm. you know, I thought, okay, I've got an agent now. I've got mm-hmm. a deal at Focus Features. This is it. I'm on my way. I'm going to do this thing. And then when it didn't happen, mm-hmm. you know, mostly for reasons that I caused myself. You know, I just wasn't doing the best work I could do. I wasn't writing the best things I could write. I wasn't trying to write anything like Moonlight. I felt like it was a self-fulfilling prophecy. That mm. Here it is. Here's the truth. You know, you made this little thing with your friends. And, Damn, Barry. And, and, wow. and it meant a lot to some people. Uh, wow. but, but that's it, you know? And so in the in-between time, I felt like, you know what? Okay, this is it. That thing with with medicine, that was like a mistake. Wow. You know? I'm, I'm just being, I'm being oh dead ass serious. Oh my goodness, man. That's and, crazy to hear. And, and this is why I love my friends and I continue to work with my friends because 
It wasn't my choice to make Moonlight. It wasn't my choice to try to get back in the arena. It wasn't my choice to try to prove myself wrong. It was Adela Romanski, uh, my producer, who called me up and said, this shit has got to stop. You know, you're too good, you know, to not be doing anything. And I am too pissed. I want to work with somebody I love on something they love. So let's find something you love and let's go and do it. That is amazing. And that was about five or six years after Medicine had come out. Mm -hmm. And so it was pretty much, I mean, you know how it is. It's yeah. like I was hot for a second. Yeah. And then I was not. I mean, I was terrified when I went to Sundance about it not being hot. And I had like so many things. <laughs> it was like killing myself. Mm -hmm. And you know, it was funny. I... I also, I mean, I don't know. I don't know what what this is about, our, what this says about our upbringing. I'm sure it says a lot of obvious things, but, you know, I, I kind of come from a place of scarcity, too, and I, and, I, and I sort of remembered maybe a year and a half or two years after I made the film, mm -hmm. and I was walking by, like, I had the poster, the movie poster for Dear White People hanging up in my apartment, and I looked at it, and I was like, oh, my God, I fucking did that. Mm. And I realized, like, that was the first time I ever felt pride mm. about the project mm. in, in the entirety of Bro, I'll, I'll tell you a raising story. the money, doing the trailer, all that stuff, like making it, all of those things that happened. Like, it, I never once felt pride. I will tell you a real story. I, I just got back yesterday from the Sundance Labs. I was only there for the weekend because mm -hmm. we're finishing a post on Beale Street. But Michelle Satter, who, bless her heart, I love her, mm -hmm. you know, she basically was like, you got to come out here. You know, just tell me what's the window you can do. I was like, I can do two days, a Saturday and Sunday. She's like, all right, we're doing it. And then like three days before, she's like, and we're going to show Moonlight. <laughs> <laughs> and we're going to do a Q&A with the fellows. And so, you know, I did my advising. And then Sunday night, we showed the film. I haven't watched it in forever. Mm -hmm. And I didn't watch it this time. But, you know, I crept back in the last 20 minutes. Couldn't even stand in the theater. I had to, like, go stand in the projection booth and really? watch it on the projections booth screen. It's, it's hard for me to watch. But for the because first, you still see mistakes. I, well, is that what it is? Not only or? that, see, okay. that's what I say externally. Okay, I still see mistakes. Uh -huh. But I also, I, I have this fear of watching it and going, you know what? It's all bullshit. Yes, you know, I get that. It's, it's, it's not a good film. And everybody's saying it's a good film, but it's not a good film. Mm -hmm. And if I don't watch it, I don't have to confront this idea mm. that maybe it's not a good film wow maybe man. it's not all these things which is fine for me because the feeling of making it was so rewarding that uh -huh. i can just live in that it's not fine though barry because i feel the same way hold up mm -hmm. i feel the same way i i remember every time i would walk into the end of dear white people and i would like you know once i heard a laugh or once i heard like a line hit the way it hit that w one other screen then i would sort of go like okay i think it's like working i think i got him i think i'm like you know mm -hmm. i think I, I got him confused i think like you mm -hmm. know i think i tricked him you know mm -hmm. what i mean mm -hmm. um but i have to say my journey after the film where i really had to confront my own depression and how long i've had it and all that kind of stuff you have it's not okay it's not good enough because you are one of the greats and you have to push yourself to be better i know that that's part of your process and that mm -hmm. you will always do that and i want to talk about that next but i i need you to i need you as justin to be your friend <laughs> and supporter and fan i do need you to find a way to take in how great you are because um at a certain point those those like i'm not good enough and i have to always be better things they stop working for us at yeah. a certain point no for sure and all of our favorite filmmakers you can see it like mm -hmm. you can see it you can see it working up until a point you know mm -hmm. what i mean mm -hmm. and then you see it start to backfire yeah. and you're like whoa eyes wide shut took eight years to make you know what i mean the, yeah. it's sort of like and so i just want to say that because you are one of like you're one of the ones man you're one of the ones on the wall okay you're one of the brothers on the wall mm -hmm. and uh i just want to i just want to tell you that and and i and i and i also want to segue into um 
what it is that you're chasing. I want to talk about Beale Street. Mm-hmm. I want to talk about you as a filmmaker after Moonlight. But what is your like? What's your what's that carrot that you're chasing? You know, like because the thing I relate to about what you said is like, oh, I didn't get it. I didn't get it this time, but I'm gonna get it next time. So mm-hmm. what's that next time? What are you chasing as a filmmaker? You know, for me, uh, I feel like in a, in the simplest terms, I'm always chasing the feeling that other films gave me. You know. Mm. I'm not chasing in the mood for love, yeah. but I'm chasing the feeling that it gave me. Yeah. You know, I'm not chasing 2001, but I'm chasing the feeling that it gave me, which was, this is so massively, massively more cosmic, more humane, more just everything mm-hmm. than I feel like I could ever intellectually coerce into a, into a piece. So I'm like, did he do that intentionally or is it just magic, you know? You know, same thing with like something like Do the Right Thing, you know, mm-hmm. with uh, Bo Travai, you know? I feel like I'm like chasing, not necessarily those films as a whole, but just like this feeling, this, I guess in a, in a very childlike way, the sense of awe mm-hmm. that they gave me. I think that's a very simple thing to chase. No, but it's and the thing. It's the thing, Ain't you know? It's the thing, yeah. And, 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 and I think it might be a trick that I'm playing on myself, but I, I've convinced myself that there's no organized way to arrive at that. Mm-hmm. And so I'm always trying to stay fresh and stay just open to uh, the possibility uh, of everything. Mm-hmm. And I think it's what's been a little bit difficult about you know, the post-Moonlight filmmaker, which is now people are watching and there's all these expectations, uh, but you can't be aware of them because if you are, then you're not chasing that, yeah. that elusive awe. You know, that was the original impetus for me wanting to do this in the first place. And what are the tactics, what are the techniques? Like, how do you chase the awe? How, uh, do, you you, know, how do you get what's fresh? You know, I, I try to be a termite, man. I mm-hmm. still program uh, the short films at Telluride, you know, which means mm-hmm. I'm watching, like, three, four hundred short films this summer, you know? That's actually it, brilliant, dude. And those things... I never can, thought of it that way at they, all. <laughs> well, I'm like a vampire. I mean, it's great. I'm doing this altruistic thing. I'm trying to give these filmmakers a platform to announce themselves, but I'm also trying to just suck the blood of them because yeah, they're coming like, from such interesting what perspectives. What new things have you come up with? <laughs> <laughs> Bro, I'm telling you, every year the most interesting shit I see uh, are the short films that I'm watching programming mm-hmm. for uh, for Telluride. Case in point, this is a great filmmaker named Ava Riley. Yeah, tell uh, us. She made a short film that I remembered from like three, four years ago. And I was like, I just want to watch this short film again. You yeah. know, I need a little fresh shot of energy. And so I sent her a DM on Twitter. I was like, hey, I need a link to this short film. You know, do you have it? And she sent it. And I was like, okay, yeah, this is wow. dope. Um, so, so stuff like that, man, but, but really, and also too, I feel like when you really reach, when you reach down to like the filmmakers who are just starting that sense of awe, they are just driven by it. They still have it too. And it's so reflected in the work. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Damn. That's not, you're not lying, man, because, uh, I mean, I remember when I first got into, I was a little kid. Like how old were you when you realized film was the thing? I mean, I wasn't a little kid. I was like 20, 21, you know, kind of a little kid. I was, that's true. (laughs) Thinking back on it. But, but then I think about my class space at the time, like this dude, Wes Ball was a classmate of mine and Wes does the Maze Runner movies and is going to do so much more, but he clearly, like he was three years old and Mm -hmm. he knew. And he had just been like working it since he was like four or five years old. And you could see it in the work, even in film school, whereas I feel like I was a late bloomer, a late starter, you know. Mm -hmm. But like you, I think because of that, I was like, well, I don't have to start from the same point everyone else does. Yeah. So I'm going to go and find, you know, all the foreign, all the esoteric, you know, all the weird filmmakers. And I'm going to start my voice from this place. I'm going to make my box that much bigger. You know, that's amazing. Have, do you have like really embarrassing first films? Yes and no, but I, I don't. Okay. I don't have them. I mean, I but keep, they exist in somewhere in the universe. Maybe there's a couple of them. Yeah, okay. but but my first official <laughs> short I, I put up on my, my my Twitter profile. Not that it's dope. You uh-huh. know, I just I love it, and I'm and I'm proud 
of it. Oh, and then, I watch it. I can even watch it yet. And, and I have no problem with with people, young filmmakers who find me. You know, if you want to know where I started from, you know, Man, not my so... not my first semester project, but maybe like my third semester Listen, project. I'm so my shit was so out there and pretentious, but it was different, you mm-hmm. know. And everybody was trying to do. Everybody was trying to make Pulp Fiction or Donnie Darko. I mean, mm-hmm. that's what it was in film school or Reservoir Dogs or something. Yeah, for for me, it was Wes Anderson. Yes. Everybody in film school was trying to make. God. It was like this this Tallahassee version of Wes Anderson or Charlie Kaufman, and mm-hmm. like you can't do either one of those things well, in say, this city. I love Wes Anderson, but I'm so annoyed at the comparison. I get compared to him, especially with the film. What? Because, well, it's because I also will operate in flat spaces. You know what I'm saying? Uh, I will also sort of have characters kind of facing direct towards lens. Mm-hmm. Um, and there are moments in Dear White People that are, or everything everything in the frame is just so. Yes. And Wes Anderson is amazing. 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 Not the originator of any of those no, techniques that's what and, and i think and that's the thing it's like i actually i pulled a lot of stuff from fritz lang like that's my sort of like silent film god obviously like there's hitchcock but, but justin but you're fritz a is black the one, queer filmmaker you can't you? be referencing fritz lang how you can't i know i have you to reference can't. i'm not smart enough you can't. so i have to reference a filmmaker <laughs> that has come out in the past decade because <laughs> assumptions but um but yeah but truly it's 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 that silent tradition of creating these kind of flat, almost animated 2D uh, scenes, mm-hmm. that's where that came from for me. I, I have worked on your show, so I have gotten the Justin Simeon visual lookbook <laughs> that, that, that the director gets when they start. So trust me, I know. <laughs> Speaking of which, I love the way you directed. Let's, 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 uh, you know what? Let, we'll, we'll be right back with my guest, Barry Jenkins. You're listening to Don't At Me with Justin Simeon. We're back. Um, all right. So I want to talk very, very quickly about your time on Dear White People. Because, mm-hmm. I mean, I'm telling you, man, it's like going to film school. It's like I love I love directing. Like, that's my favorite thing to do. Mm-hmm. But I also really love watching over the shoulder people like you. Watching over the shoulder? You were fucking with me, man. <laughs> I was. <laughs> it was fun. So, so this is my first time doing a TV show. <laughs> and Justin said, do what you want to do. Which is true. No, no, totally true, totally true. But you were fucking with me because sometimes <laughs> I would want to do things that were a little outside the box. Uh-huh. And I would look over my shoulder and see you watching me. And I'd come, um, um, Justin, um, do you mind if I... And then Justin, this motherfucker, he would give me this look and he wouldn't say nothing. And then he laughed, and he'd be like, "Barry, shut up! <laughs> this is your well, episode. I, I Go favorite, and do what my, you do." My favorite was like walking by and be like, "Yeah, I wouldn't do it that way, but okay." <laughs> but but in reality, I think that was in the house too, and that shit was so stressful. I was like, yeah, "Justin, oh my no, god, the gun scene, not right now." I know. No. I'm so sorry. I'm like literally the worst. So uh, just to summarize for the people listening, so Barry uh, directed episode or chapter five mm-hmm. of Volume One of mm-hmm. Dear White People, uh, and this kind of was the moment where the show. It really does. It's a shifting moment for the show. Uh, we, we sort of walk and talk with these characters for about a half hour. And then at the end of it, all of these little signs that things are different for black people at Winchester really come to a head when Reggie has a gun pointed at him by a security guard. And it, it really is one of the most talked about. It's the most talked about episode, I would say, of the first season. For me, that's where the show concretizes into what the show really is, which is it's lighthearted, it's fun, but black comes at you fast. It's also honest. Did you say life comes at you fast or black black comes at you fast? That's what I thought. (laughs) (laughs) Boom, you're black. Um, That's how it feels anyway. Uh, But, you know, 
so so that was the episode that you did and uh but for me it's like going to film school because you direct like the way you are on set is a, it's a very specific Barry Jenkins kind of thing and I just was like a sponge because you know we I feel like we I'm not a guy who thinks like everyone needs to come in with a shot list or a storyboard like everyone's mm-hmm. different and mm-hmm. you come in with this is how I would I've described it to people you come in with like this kind of mastermind understanding of all the little bits and parts of the scene. And none of us quite can, no, none of us could ever see the playbook that mm-hmm. you have somewhere deep in the back of your, your mind. Mm-hmm. But I can see you twisting this screw over there and like moving this thing here and like, you know, yelling at this AD over here and pushing this person over there. Like I can see you in exacting your master plan, even though you, you sometimes don't reveal it mm-hmm. because I don't know why, but it, it what I notice is it, it tends to get a very kind of surprised, organic kind of emotional response from the actors. Like, exactly. it really does feel as if they're living this stuff for the first time. Yeah. And when you see it, and when you see it edited back, it's like, oh, this motherfucker had this all <laughs> planned from jump. <laughs> but in the moment, you're sort of like, hey, guys, we're just in here playing. Da-da-da-da-do. Don't worry is, about it. Which you is know? what I'm always trying to do. And especially <laughs> with, with your crew and that cast, they just love to play. It was, mm-hmm. I mean, the first day... They do love to play. ...was really tricky because we were doing all that stuff out in the front on the front lawn with the light changing and I was yeah. like ooh I don't know if, this is not my world <laughs> um, and then as the days went on it was like very clear oh this crew is really fast I, I'm, I don't know if the season 2 crew was the same as season 1 but really fast crew mm-hmm. like holy shit and it felt like I could be empowered to do exactly what you said and it's not that I, that I can't see from A to Z but depending on how B goes, C might be a little bit different. Mm-hmm. And so I don't want to burden the crew with like Thinking F. about all those other things. Exactly, yeah. before we get there. Especially well, with that crew, because they were just so organically just like flowing with the organism as mm-hmm. it was taking shape. Well, I, I love it. Because it was, you know, it, you gave me exactly what I wanted, which is, you know, here's the melody. Like, my the pilot mm-hmm. is the melody. The, the film is the melody. But mm-hmm. now I want jazz. Like, now I want you to give me mm-hmm. harmonies and notes and things that sort of blend with this melody, but mm-hmm. take me in a place that I am surprised by. And there were so many scenes, because your episode, I've talked about this before, but mm-hmm. your episode really was inspired by a chunk of the film that I never shot. That's right, that's and, right. And I always had an idea of what it would be. Mm-hmm. And, you know, seeing it in your hands, it just, it still surprised me. And it was mm. so exciting. It was just really exciting to see what you do with that Well, no, I have to be honest, though. I mean, you did trick me. because Because you came and saw Moonlight. I did. And I remember it was like, we were at that that party that Tommy threw. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, that everybody yeah, yeah. was at. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, and then you said to me, hey, you know. You're talking about Tommy Oliver. Tommy producer. Oliver. Exactly. But I re- and Tahir was there. I remember you saying, hey, I got this episode. Your white people. I would love for you. To-. It's like Medicine for Melancholy. I love people, your impression of me, by the way. It's just people walking and talking. I know myself to talk like yeah, but but the message was it's just people walking and talking. It'll be real chill because I think we both knew. Did it I would, say chill? Yes, you did. Oh, man, I think we I both knew it would have to be during the release of. Moonlight. Oh, I did probably downplay the work because these were the only ten days I had off from pushing Moonlight was mm-hmm. the five days of prep on this and the five day shoot. Yep, and I remember like. Two weeks out, I got the script, and I was like, whoa, 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 what is all this shit that happens on page 18? <laughs> well, two, okay, I will say this. we That was not decided at the time. Okay. The, the Reggie climax in that episode, I knew that in episode five, when I first sold the show, I wanted somebody to get shot. 
Mm-hmm. I wanted a very specific character, in fact, to get shot. Mm. And uh, the studio and my showrunner, everyone just like, don't do that, don't do that, don't do that. This, we need this character, don't let them go. Mm-hmm. And so I said, okay. And so then we had a much softer thing that happened with Coco, actually, in that episode. Um, but then we sort of, you know, life was happening and people were getting shot by the cops every day. Mm-hmm. I think it was the day after the Philando video had hit Facebook. Mm. And we just all sat and looked at each other and was like, what the fuck are we doing? We have to do, mm-hmm. we have to do the gun thing. Like we mm-hmm. have to talk about it. this is still this is still why it's fatal to be black almost wherever you are in the country. Yeah. And so we ch- we swapped the character out and we didn't make it, you know, someone getting shot and killed, mm-hmm. but it was still it still felt like it had because we tried to treat it honestly, it, it it still had an emotional resonance. So some of that stuff I did not know actually when I was pitching the episode to you. Yeah, I genuinely right. did. I swear. No, no, I swear <laughs> because at that point I had already sort of given in to the, you know, the the people asking me not to kill yeah. off a certain character. Well, well um, and I'll say the thing for me then is you know, thank you, you know, and Tara Duncan and, and just everybody between... Shout out to Tara Duncan. Shout out to Tara Duncan between uh, Lionsgate and Netflix for trusting me with the episode. I, mm-hmm. I don't think many of them had seen Moonlight at that point. None I know, of them had seen it. I know you had seen it. And so for them, it was like, oh, this Medicine for Melancholy guy is going to do this episode? Well, there's always that thing where if someone hasn't done quote-unquote comedy or something, like everyone's like, well, are they... A co-? You know, what people don't realize is that there's really not... A, the difference is a difference of tone, but mm-hmm. it's not... I don't know that it requires like wildly different skill sets if that director can work within the aesthetic of the show or the aesthetic of the film or whatever. Well, and bro, I got I got to say, I want to say two things. One, that is the most emotional I've ever been on a set. Mm-hmm. That is the most emotional film Same. set I've ever been on, Same. and that includes Moonlight and Beale Street. That that night in that house, and I know you know what I'm talking about. Yes. It was so, I mean, it was just beyond emotional. I mean, I just can't even begin to uh, describe what that was like. And I remember getting on a plane literally the next morning and flying to New York to screen Moonlight at the New York Film Festival and I was still in Dear White People. Mm. I just, my body was just still still there. The other thing is the first act of Beale Street is actually kind of funny. And, uh, and I think my time working on Dear White People helped me get more comfortable uh, directing things of that tone. So, well, well, so I shout out to you, to, bro. I, I cannot wait to talk about Bill Street. We will be back. <laughs> we will be right back with Barry Jenkins. You're listening to Don't At Me with Justin Timmy. And we're back. Okay. Bill Street, dude. I'm so excited about this movie. Um... You know, oh, God, it's like it's the coming together of so many things I'm excited about. First of all, you didn't direct an episode of season two because you had to make this movie. I know. You also stole Regina King from me, who was also slated to direct an episode. I know. But it was all okay because (laughs) you and all these brilliant people are making a James Baldwin movie, but Mm -hmm. a a movie based on, on a piece by James Baldwin. I want to know everything. I want to know what brought you to the project. I want to know about this thing that you're chasing, how you were finding I want to know, man. Tell me. Tell me about this movie. You know, I, I remember first being introduced to James Baldwin by an ex-girlfriend mm-hmm. who broke up with me and said, you need to read James Baldwin. Was this the reason she broke up with you? It wasn't the reason. The reason was I was a young, <laughs> dumbass, immature, not ready for you this don't woman, know James man. Baldwin. Exa- no, she said, you need to read James Baldwin. Wow. You know, which was, to me, you need to develop your yourself as a man mm-hmm. as a person as a human being so i read the fire next time in giovanni's room oh and then it was a few years before a friend passed me if bill street could talk which is one of baldwin's lesser known works and mm-hmm. i had actually never heard of it or read it and once i did i just knew i was like 
this is a film. Mm-hmm. You know, this is a film that I see and I feel. And that was way back in 2010, 2011. And what's the, what's for people who don't know, like what's the quick synopsis of what, what it's about? Yeah, it's A Blue Street to... Could Talk is a Harlem set romance in the early 1970s. And it's about this girl named Clementine Tish Rivers uh, and her boyfriend uh, slash fiance, Funny Hunt. And uh, they are just like the purest, youngest love you could ever imagine. I'm talking like black-ass family, church, Al Green, spiritual. It's just like everything. Just black as can be. Just black as can be. And then, of course, because it's black as can be, like you said, black comes at you fast. Uh, Fonny gets arrested for a crime he did not commit. And so it's James Baldwin in some ways doing a procedural. But I remember growing up in, in Miami, and there were all these stories about these these black boys, age 10, age 12, age 13, being tried as adults uh, for yeah, these crimes. Yeah. And whenever you would see them in the newspapers, you would just see them as an adult being tried for a crime. You would never see the boy they are, the boy they were. You would never really contextualize them. And so you didn't have any choice but to accept that they were these animals who had committed these adults-like crimes. And for me, when I read Bill Street, Baldwin does this beautiful thing that only he can do with language where you see the present predicament the people are in, but you see it through the context of their full humanity. So he's telling the story of this very, very deep, pure love, while at the same time taking our culture, our country, our especially our judicial system uh, to task. And it's a, a very potent, evocative, strange mix of, uh, of tones and genres. And uh, again, it was something that scared the shit out of me. Which means you got to do it. Is, which is why you got to do it. But also, too, there's something about the language of Baldwin that reaches this level of literary awe mm. that I'm yeah. always trying to capture uh, cinematically. So he, I feel like nobody ever, honestly, there are so many instances that come up on a daily basis where he, I can think of no one who articulated it better than him, mm-hmm, particularly mm-hmm. in these trying times of the exactly. Trump administration. Well, he thing, broke all of this down for us. He broke all of it down, and it's still applicable. Mm-hmm. Like, ev- just about every damn thing, you know, yes. which is why a story that's set in 1973, 1974, still feels so relevant to 2018. Absolutely. Um, and I'm sure will in 2028 and 2038. Because he gets down to the root of it. Exactly. He doesn't sort of stay at the surface. He gets down to the root, like the ancestral beginnings of say, the country and, and what root is at of the it. root of america the blood of, of black folks the blood of black and brown folks black and brown native folks yes mm-hmm. blood 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 what, what, what's uh, what's homegirl say blood on the leaves yeah, yeah yeah absolutely i mean it really you know it's by well, homegirl i mean nina simone of course i, I apologize to yes. any, any of the by homegirl barry jenkins of course <laughs> meant zora neale hurston um because that's who you meant right and, and, and tony boris let's just shout out all, all the homegirls <laughs> <laughs> Lengths and all of them. By which you respectfully mean our elders. Yes. All right. So back to Bill Street, though. Yes. Uh, you know, so you, you have this amazing story. You have this amazing book. You go about adapting it into a film. Mm-hmm. What is your process to figure out, okay, how do I capture this literary awe, but in cinema? Like, what's that? for you? You know, it was tricky because the book is nonlinear. So yeah. I'll speak purely in story terms. The book is nonlinear and there's this amazing freedom you can arrive at when you're working that way. Mm-hmm. I think, as you said, Baldwin is mostly concerned about the root. He's not concerned with story progression. He's not concerned with plot. He's like, what's at the root and what's the feeling at the root? And for me and translating, especially because this is only the second time Baldwin's ever been translated, the first time in English, it was important to me to to not muck up the source, mm-hmm. uh, to sort of preserve, again, I'll mention this again, this awe, the literary awe 
that Baldwin creates his work, the prism he creates his work through. And so it was interesting about cherry picking in a certain way, Mm -hmm. but cherry picking in a way that would still align or overlap with this feeling of awe that I get from the book, from the source material. And then, as you said, describing me on set, trying to find a way to give the actors enough where they could also flow in that same kind of awe, Mm -hmm. but not with the very typical... Uh, knowledge of, okay, I came from from A and now I'm going to C. Mm-hmm. And then after C, I'll be at D. It's like, no, this one kind of doesn't function that way. You know, the so feeling you try, of you A try, So you tried to create these moments. Is, is that what you're saying? A, a cascading series of yep. moments, you know, that is sort of woven together by the spine of, shockingly in a Baldwin universe, a crime procedural. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, um, so mm-hmm. it was a very delicate dance. Um, that, I cannot wait to see this movie. <laughs> you know, th- there are times when it is so searingly evocative that I, I look at it and I go, how did that happen? Mm. You know, um, but then sometimes I-, I look back at the book and I go, oh, wait, how did that happen? And right. I can't I can't rhyme a reason. Are either you happy one of with them. the film? I am. I am. <sighs> That's good to hear. I am. It is black as hell yeah it is black we had a preview and i swear justin at a certain point a man stood up in the auditorium and just started snapping his fingers (laughs) lord jesus i cannot wait for this movie but 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 it's baldwin and we preserve the language so there was some shit said in this film that is just so real yeah so fire it's just like i mean yeah we shall see i'm so excited You know, so don't at me, you know, it, it really comes from, it, it's when you want to say something okay. publicly, or you want to say something, and you don't want a bunch of people up in your mentions, well, now I don't actually believe, you know, think piece in you, it's like, can I just say this real quick and just have it sit for a second? Uh-huh. That's what don't at me is all about. So I'm going to ask you a couple questions. Okay. You can say don't at me to one of them. Okay. To only one of them? To only one of them. How many of them are there? I'm going to give you three. Okay, cool. Okay? You can be all three, or I... Or I I'm going to give, gonna give them to you... Let me stop protecting myself. I'm going to give them to you one at a time. Okay, cool. You can say, you can not answer one of them. Okay. But you won't know what's coming next. Cool. And all you have to do is say, don't at me. Okay, cool. Okay? So first question, what is the best movie ever made? Ooh, man. The best movie ever made? Damn. I got three movies in my head right now. Okay, well, which one's the best, Barry? Damn, you ain't supposed to say that. You're supposed to say, well, tell me all three, bro. Mm -mm. Which one's the best? You can say don't at me, but then there's two more questions. No, 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 no. I think, I think, damn. (sighs) <sighs> shit in the mood for love is the best movie ever made in the mood for love okay don't add them now all right second question um what is the most overrated movie don't at me okay well here's the third question <laughs> yeah but you're gonna I, I be said mad it slow but you're gonna be I mad quickly you're gonna be mad right now though what is the what is a movie that got great reviews that you absolutely hated this in the past year or so. In the past year or like so? Like in the past cycle of movies. Damn, bro. Yeah. You already used your done at. So great reviews, but you hate it. Great reviews, but I hate it. I hated it. I'll tell you that. I hated the it remake. I didn't see it though, you know? So it has to be a movie I saw. You know, yes. you can't hate something you didn't see. No, it has to be a movie you saw. Um you know what? I don't know if it got great reviews, but I'm gonna get so much shit for this. What's that uh, That Michael Bay movie with... Uh, You're not going to get shit for this. With, with Homeboy? <laughs> uh, Homeboy, uh, who I like, uh, Krasinski. 
shit, I don't know. It's about us. Uh, oh, thir- he was like in hours, war. 13 I hours or something like that. I'm going to be really honest with you. So um, so I went and saw. Yes, I, it was, wasn't it? Th- I think it was, is it, was it 13 hours, y'all? Yeah. Oh, there's like a group of people. 13 hours, and it's about the, the thing that happened War in. War and Krasinski or something. Yeah, I mean, it's a big controversy, and it's part of the reason why the president right now is the president, uh, because Secretary of uh, State Clinton. Oh, that's right. It was about Benghazi. Exactly. Benghazi. Benghazi. That's right. So anyway, so I, I went and saw this that film. That did not get good reviews, by the way. <laughs> no, no. I, I think it did. I think did it, got, it? I think it got pretty decent reviews. You okay. Know? Man, see, you threw me with this don't at me shit. I know. You threw me. You can see I'm flustered that's now. That's fun. I don't, <laughs> I, don't, I, don't, I don't like speaking negatively about things. I do that with my inside voice, mm-hmm, you know? Mm-hmm. I think there's just enough negative stuff in the world without me uh, bringing I don't disagree, shit. but... I don't disagree, but here's my thing. I do think that there is something to be said. And it is a bit false because people people never see, you know, people think I like everything. And I'm like, no, I just only yeah. talk about the shit I like. That, that's you know? the same way I do. So here's my thing. So I'm watching this movie because I actually like action films a lot. I'm going to the premiere of Soldado. Nice. Uh, because uh, despite some very, uh, criti- some very harsh criticisms I have of the first Sicario, and if you want to know about those criticisms, look up the review of it in Clio Journal. Uh, which is this awesome women-focused film criticism website based out of Toronto. Uh, they view and review films. It's either um, you know a female critic or it's viewing the film through the prism of you know the female gaze. Really interesting uh, journal. Anyway, I went and saw this film, Thirteen Hours, a Michael Bay film because I like action movies a lot more than people know. I actually like movies that are sort of fact-based. And in this movie, which is really well made, of course, it's Michael Bay. It's really exciting. It's the heart rate pumping. There was a tall, gorgeous, or I'll say, air quotes, physically attractive blonde woman mm-hmm. who plays like the the CIA or military like intelligence person. Mm-hmm. And yet Michael Bay chooses to dress her in like high heels. She's really mm. ridiculous. She has almost like no street smarts, no sense of awareness. And all the men in the film are just constantly like like either making jokes at her or, or t- correcting her from doing really simple dangerous <laughs> shit when right. they're when they're in this war zone and they're trying to be inconspicuous so anyway there's a moment like 80 minutes into the film where this huge firefight is raging and this woman in a wide shot like a 35 millimeter lens is crossing the roof of this building as people are shooting at everyone and she takes this like busby berkeley pratfall just like in the middle of a oh, war Jesus zone Christ. And I literally stood up in the arc light and I said... And you snapped your fingers. I said, are y'all going to sit here and watch this shit? You said that out loud? Out loud, with my outside voice. Oh my God. <laughs> and I see movies with Barry and, and, I, and I walked out and and I just felt like, like how... Like how, how did this how did this conception of this character... You know how. <laughs> I, I know, I know. But, but it just... It, it, pissed me off so much yeah. and I just could not finish watching the film. Well, God bless you for thinking that you could when you went in there in the first place. I know, That's bro. the shadiest thing I've ever... It's actually not even close to I the know, shadiest bro. thing I've ever said. But anyway, so there's that, man. All right. Well, look... Justin got me to publicly share some shade. I don't think anybody... that First of all, that wasn't even shade. It was actually a pretty good read and I don't think anyone's going to fault you for that, to be honest with you. Um... You know, I, I, I listen. I think it's really good to talk about movies. I think it's important to say that, like, just because someone doesn't like a movie doesn't mean a movie is bad. True. One of my favorite. First oh, of all, see, uh, I see. That's how I could answer the question. Yeah. 
this movie did very well, but it wasn't for me. Yes. Gotcha. Yeah, okay. but I like saying it in a shadier way. <laughs> uh, speaking of shade, I'll close with this. Uh, I, I've been shaded from beyond the grave by my favorite filmmaker, Stanley Kubrick. So I'm, I'm reading the 2001 book, which mm-hmm. you should you will love. Okay. It's about the making of the movie. Mm-hmm. It sort of chronicles uh, Arthur C. Clarke and Kubrick's collaboration from its early stages all the way through the film coming out. And you get just an insight into both of them that is just so fabulous and mm-hmm. delicious. Um, but one of the things that Kubrick uh, says in the book is he throws shade at filmmakers who also fancy themselves cultural commentators. So shade received Kubrick. Mm. <laughs> He's talking about me, Barry. Mm. Uh, so my, my house father has shaded me from beyond the grave, but it's okay. I thought you were going to say something way worse. So, oh, yeah. So no, no, all no. good. It's slight. So it's just slight. But for me personally, that, that stung a little yes, bit. I was like, personally. Stan, <laughs> Stan. You know, I, I will say I'm a big uh, Dawn of the Dead fan. Uh-huh. And like literally... Like, honestly, like a month before he passed away, there was an interview with George Romero. Uh-huh. This was doing award season. And he was like, you know, La La Land was amazing. It was fantastic. That moonlight, ugh. What? <laughs> Stop. <laughs> yeah, and there was this guy who just hated Moonlight so much, and he made a point of tweeting everything negative anybody said about oh, it. Oh, I me. remember that guy. No, <laughs> yeah. I remember that guy on Twitter. I yeah. remember him, and it, it was so good when you won. <laughs> I know, I know, I know. But he sent me this this Romero quote, and then Mr. Romero passed away like a month later. Well, that's sad. Yeah. All right, Barry, thank you so much for being with me, man. Mm-hmm. I really appreciate it. Thank you for having me, bro. Now that we've had this chat, you you can at us, okay? Now that it's all... <laughs> You've heard all of it, all right? So where can they at you, Barry? Where can people find you on the internet should they want to? Yeah, you can find me at Barry Jenkins uh, on Twitter, uh, which I have to say, I only have that handle because one of my Twitter stands informed me that the person who had that handle for years got wow. suspended. And oh. she was like, you should go get it. And so I used to be Bandry Barry, but now I'm officially Barry Jenkins. Come on, Barry, Barry Jenkins. Jenkins. Yeah, I love it. And uh, and and when can we uh, hear more about Beale Street? When can we see it? Soon, my friend. All right. Soon, my friend. All right, dude. Well, thank you for being here. It's always a pleasure. Appreciate you, man. Absolutely. Thank you, you young black man. All right. You've been listening to Don't At Me with Justin Simeon and Barry Jenkins. Peace. Okay, I'm going to do this in the podcast voice. Our producer is Gina Delvac. Our production engineers are Garrett Lang and J.C. Swadek. Special thanks to Vishnu Valabhanani, Gary Scott, head of programming. Of course, Chris Bowers has created our theme song. This is Don't At Me with podcast Justin Simeon. If you like the show or want to thank Peace Me, please subscribe at Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen and leave a review. We'd love to hear from you. We'll be back next week with another episode of Don't At Me from the one and only KCRW.